Welcome to UO Today. I'm Paul Peppis, director of the Oregon Humanities Center. My guest today is Irish-born artist Barbara McCallum. The Jordan Schnitzer Museum of Art features four of McCallum's recent works in an exhibition called Barbara McCallum, Appropriating Science, on view through January 28, 2018. Thank you, Barbara, for coming on the show. My pleasure. Do you consider yourself uh, a sculptor or an installation artist, or are those categories irrelevant for you? Well, all those categories are important, but what I'm interested in is the gap between categories. Mm -hmm. So I'm neither a pure installation or pure sculpture or pure textiles or drawing, but a mixture of all of those. And that's what I've always been interested in, the gap between things. Well, that's, that's helpful because that leads to my next question. So in your artist statement, you explain that because we live in a society that places science above art, your work reverses that relationship. So obviously you're interested in that space between art and science. Right. Tell us about how your work reverses art or how you think about that process. Well, I should go back and say that when I was at school, at high school, I always hated science. Uh, I never did well, never liked it, but because it was part of the British system, we did, sci did science and physics, for example, up to a very high level, like second year of uh, university level in the States. Mm -hmm. So I struggled horribly with that and wanted nothing more to do with it. <laughs> but eventually I met my husband, who is American, in Belfast. He came there to Queen's University to do a postdoc in physics. <laughs> <laughs> and at first I thought he was weird and the subject he did was weird, but we eventually realized that we did things in a very similar way. And so um, he's a theoretician. He deals with atmospheres and he sort of astrophysics. Mm -hmm. Not a lab person, but a person who thinks about things. And in many ways, that's what artists do in the studio as well. So uh, that was the beginning of my realizing that, uh, well, first of all, the scientists weren't any more weird than artists. But secondly, it's what brought home. I was invited to be a visiting artist at uh, the Art Institute of Chicago mm -hmm. in the early 80s. And Bob came with me. His name is Robert Johnson. He came with me and uh, did some research at the University of Chicago while I was at the Art Institute. And while I was there for one year teaching full time, a prestigious job, you know, I was paid half of what he was paid, though he was researching only part time at the University of Chicago. Not only that, we were living in a very small space. Normally I had a studio and he was off at the university. We didn't sort of get to see each other's methods. But in living in a small space for a year, I realized how well treated he was mm. and how badly treated I was. And uh, so my my work, I think, at that point started, um, I've always been interested in the gap between male and female, mm. never interested in things that were overly male or overly female, but that gap between. And I realized at one point then that I wanted to take the work of, uh, sort of the work that women did, but turn it into something that men would be interested in mm -hmm. by using male materials. Mm -hmm. And by living with Bob in close quarters for that year, I realized that you know, he was the enemy. His work was, you know, what I wanted to take as something representing a male hierarchy. So that was the point that I started using his work. So tell us about that use of the work. How do you use it? How do I use his physical yes, work? Yes, right, right, right. Well, um, let's see, there was, when I arrived in the States, I was 28, and it was the time of great upheaval here, which I liked very much because Belfast is a place of great upheaval, as everybody knows. Um, and so when I came here, the women's movement was in full swing. 
revisionist art history was in full swing and art historians, male and female, were looking for people who art, who art history had forgotten about mm -hmm. and women were one of them and so they were focusing on the quilts that the women in the Midwest did, sort of beautiful quilts that were never considered art. Mm -hmm. uh, the men think, thought it was okay for the women to do it because it clothed, not clothed, but kept their family warm and it was made from the old clothes that their children and their husbands wore. So that was pretty acceptable and women at that time and for many, many years were not allowed to go to art school and when they were admitted to art school they weren't allowed to study from the male figure, either, either nude, I mean either female or male because their constitutions were considered to be too delicate. So then their art was never taken seriously because for many years studying from the nude was very important. So anyway, eventually, after much pressure, the Whitney Museum decided to put on a show of quilts and really beautiful quilts that came from the Midwest and I went to see the show and the show was beautiful but what struck me was the labels underneath the show and they all gave the name of the state like uh, 1952 or something or earlier than that the state and then it said artist unknown and so although the women had embroidered their name or written their name on the quilts every label said artist unknown so that started me off on a series of quilts and in doing these quilts <coughs> excuse me I used Bob's actual materials the papers he's a prolific publisher and so he had many many papers and I started using them the eight and a half by eleven and uh, sewing them together and doing things with them, uh, such as washing each page, ironing it, sewing it, doing things that women traditionally did. So taking male work and turning it into women's work. Hmm. Fascinating, fascinating. Um, a number of the works on display at the Jordan Schnitzer evoke women's clothing, and I think this relates to what you're saying. Say something about that use. So you just talked about the quilt and the more recent work explores those dynamics more fully. You wanted to say something about that? Yes, wh what the, show, the works that are in the show in the gallery here don't really relate to the quilt, but they are a direct, uh, directly come from that. Um, those pieces I thought of as half female, half male, sort of otherworldly figures, a third sex if you like. They are male in that um, the hard body cast is made from Bob's body. So I took his papers and cast his body in, in these pieces. It's only partial cast, but mm -hmm. many others I cast his whole body. So if he has his arms out like this, I would cast his arms, taking, tearing out the words that I liked out of his papers and ignoring the rest. So the words are there, and then I would dress him. And in the gallery, the pieces you see, they're dressed in garments that are sort of theatrically female. Mm -hmm. And so that's the bringing together of those two things. If you look at one, there's a flat chest, mm -hmm. Bob, and then there's a bra and, um, that's sort of based on, I'm interested in fashion as well, mm -hmm. and it's taken from Jean-Paul Gaultier, the fashion designer, mm -hmm. and more commonly Madonna, he dressed Madonna in mm -hmm. her famous iconic bra, mm -hmm. and so things like that. So it's the bringing of male and female together in that way. Um, you're, I, you're, I assume that your, your husband is an active collaborator or at least a willing <laughs> collaborator. My husband is, uh, <laughs> yes, he's very actively collaborating. He's a frustrated artist, uh -huh. uh, which is what he's well known for in his field of um, theory, in that he's very imaginative and he comes from that angle. Hmm. His father was an artist, went to the Art Institute of Chicago, mm -hmm. and uh, he had six children and realized he couldn't support them. And so he became a director of an art firm. And he, all his life, he was very bitter that he couldn't 
continue being an artist. And so when he had six children, when they became old enough to decide what they wanted to do, the oldest one, who's not Bob, wanted to be an artist, wasn't allowed. Bob wanted to be an mm. artist. And the father in every case said, if you're good at something else, that's what you should be doing. So Bob was good in science, so he was pushed into science. But the whole time he, up to, through his PhD, he took classes in drawing and painting. Hmm. So he's very happy living through what I'm doing. <laughs> That's a very common question. Pe <laughs> the next question is, when are you getting divorced? <laughs> <laughs> I won't ask you that one. Um, so you, you, you mentioned that you, when I asked you the first question, do you think of yourself as a sculptor, as an installation artist, as a, as a textile artist, you said, I don't, I think of myself between, I'm interested in the spaces between. You, your, because your work is um, three-dimensional and it occupies space in the, it, it, where it's on display, are you involved and interested in that question of how the work is in space and the nature of the relationship between the viewer and the work as they move through space? Well, that is a good question, and if you'd asked me that five years ago, I'd have said very interested. But since I started using Bob's body in a more installation-type way, um, I'm at the mercy of the space that mm -hmm. I'm showing in, so it has to adjust, and I've learned that very quickly. So uh, the last time I showed work like this, the gallery was completely black, hmm. and there were just theatrical spotlights here and there. The, the work looked very different, very theatrical. Hmm. I live in New York half the year, and I go to the theater maybe four or five times a week each mm -hmm. evening. And I look, I go to dance a lot, and I look, look not just at the movement, but at the lighting uh, and at the spaces, the negative space between the dancers, and all of that is of great interest to me. And so how the pieces are lit and the space is very important, but I have to be pretty adjustable. Hmm. Do you, can you say something about your preferences about that, or is it very changeable? I mean, well, do, you, do you prefer <coughs> to have them seem theatrical? Is that preferable? Well, that's how I start off, mm -hmm. and that's how I do it in my studio. Mm -hmm. You know, when I look at the work in the studio, I blacken it completely, and I have a series of theatrical lights that I pin light the bits that I want, and I'm really excited. I think that's terrific. And then I go to put it in a gallery, and it looks totally different. Mm -hmm. So at first I was horrified by that and thought, wow, you know, I, I just can't have this. And then I realized that's ridiculous. So each space it's shown in, the work looks totally different, and I've learned to really enjoy that. And that feeds into uh, when I look at it, and every artist will say this, when you show your work, you see your work clearly for the first time. Mm -hmm. You know, in the studio, your studio is a mess and you're involved in everything. But here, it's in a clean space. The public is there. It's like it doesn't belong to you any longer. And so you see it in a totally different way. So the whole time I'm installing this show, once I'm over the trauma of the beginning, placing things, <clears throat> I realize that, you know, I, I can see exactly what I want to do next. So it's very useful that way. Can you tell us a little bit about this particular configuration of your work? What pieces or uh, how you've thought about the space that you are, the work is being shown in here? Well, when I saw the space, and I knew the footage before I came, mm -hmm. but I hadn't been here physically. Mm -hmm. um, so I knew the space and I measured it out in my studio, but it still is never quite that way. So um, it was clear the first thing I had to install, there's a piece with the arms out and then it has a train. Uh, and there's a fan that sits in front of it that's on a timer and every minute, is it a minute it's set on, 
the, the wind whooshes up and the train flies up in the air and then the fan goes off and it falls down. And this piece is meant to be representative. In fact, the four pieces are meant to be representative of my married life, which I've been married now for nearly 50 years, so a long time. So no divorce in sight. <laughs> I need to hold on to Bob so I can make art. Yeah. So <clears throat> when he listens to this, he'll laugh. So anyway, the, the piece with the veil is meant to represent the wedding, you know, the beginning of the marriage. And that piece is wearing a vest, which I think of as an armor. I took each page of this particular paper. I use, in general, I use one paper. I like the title uh, and this title, which I can't remember because it's a scientific title, but um, it, it involves something me mechanical and it invo involves cloud spreading. And so I thought of the veil rising up in the mm. air as cloud spreading mm. and fault. And then I thought of the fan as the very male part uh, that blows it up in the air and then it falls down. So I had to install that piece first because it took up so much space. But I have installed that in another space, other galleries where the fan is much closer and the gallery is completely black. Hmm. So it looked very different then. When the fan is close, the veil blows up to the ceiling and then slowly falls down. Here, the fan had to be tucked out of the way. And so it only blows up a little bit and then falls. Hmm. But it's still fine. So I, I didn't realize that you, <coughs> you just uh, explained that you actually consider to some degree the content of the scientific papers in the construction or in the conception of each of the pieces. Is that typically what you do? That is typically, not always, but typically. I go through Bob's papers and one of them sort of hits a chord and I say, okay, I like that. And then I go through the paper and to cast his body, I tear out the words that I like and ignore the words I don't like, sometimes burning them out because burning involves mm -hmm. is involved as well. And uh, so the paper, the title of the paper is important. Can you say a little bit more about this processing of the papers that you do? You just mentioned that sometimes you burn them, you said you wash them, you iron them, um, and you mentioned that, that you think of this as a kind of women's work, a kind of traditional, a, a traditional taking back. Are there other kinds of things that you do to the, to the um, pieces of paper, to the documents, aside from the ones you've mentioned? Well, when I pick a title, I take the paper, and uh, I take the page and I dip it in and wash it and I wring it out and then sometimes I iron it uh, and then sometimes I back it in gauze hmm. uh, that I stain red <coughs> to make it a little stronger and then I put <coughs> excuse me, a matte or a gloss medium which is a, a type of glue on the front and that strengthens it mm -hmm. and then when it's strengthened I use sometimes a soldering iron, sometimes a blowtorch, a plumber's torch and I burn around the edges and then I burn out the bits of signs that I don't like. So sort of physically getting rid of things I don't like and leaving in, some of the words are really hilarious when they're taken out of the context mm -hmm. of science. Mm -hmm. They're very sexual or they're very amusing or they don't make sense. And some of the diagrams are beautiful. So I leave those in, but I burn out things that I don't like that are sort of boring. In some of, Go sorry, ahead. in some of the pieces, not in this show, I also uh, burn a CD of Bob reading the paper. Oh, and then I might put um, a speaker in his belly. So he might be there sort of totally nude and wearing some sort of weird garment. And there'd be a sensor in the ceiling. And so when you walk up to the body, you know, the sensor picks you up and out of the belly comes Bob reading the paper. And I make him practice and practice reading it in a very boring, <laughs> sort of, <laughs> in a very boring voice. So that's fascinating. I mean, that becomes a kind of performance art that you are also doing or 
Well, you sound almost like a theatrical director in that case. Well, maybe. That's a nice thought. I didn't <laughs> think of it that way. <laughs> um, one of the things I think that's interesting is, obviously, this is work that if you look at it from different locations, your experience of it is quite different. The kind of intimacy that would be required to see the words, the specific words, would require you to go up very close to the works. Right. But if you look at them from a distance, that you can almost not even tell that these right, are scientific documents. Else, yeah. Say something about the importance of that, that process for the viewer. Why is that a good thing for you? Well, I think in art it's always good to go into a gallery or to look at something from a distance and you're either drawn to it or you're not. And if you are drawn to it, you go and look more closely. If you're not, you, you know, go off to star Starbucks or something. But if you come in closely to my work, you begin to see what clearly is science and you begin to see the name Robert E. Johnson uh, and then it's sort of peculiar and you think about it and then you read the statement and so. You are originally from Ireland, uh, raised in Belfast. Do you think your, your Irishness has impacted the way you approach your art? Do you think of yourself as an Irish artist? Oh. That, is that a relevant category for you? No, I don't think I'm an American artist or an Irish artist, but growing up in Ireland, for a long time I thought made no difference, but the older I get, I realize it's made a lot of difference. <laughs> Not the Irish culture in per se, but I grew up in Belfast, and what people don't know about Belfast is that it was the center in Britain of the textile industry, and it was the center in the world of the linen industry for many years before all that collapsed. It was also where the Titanic was made. Mm -hmm. So Britain wanted to keep the north of Ireland because it was so full of industry. So when I went to art college, well, first of all, going through school, all of us, boys and girls, were made to sew and knit and embroider and do all that stuff, which, of course, we all hated. Hmm. And when I went to art college, um, I was placed in the most prominent department, which was the textile department. And, uh, you know, I had no wish. I had no wish to be there, but that's where I ended up. And I think that has affected, that training has affected what I've done. My growing up, seeing mills around me, and we were sent as students at art college one day a month to a weaving factory and one day a month to a textile factory, I mean to a silk screening factory. In fact, my job was to silk screen the little yellow straw hat on the Irish donkey that pulled the cart of peat. You know, it was so boring. I knew for sure I wanted nothing to do with textiles. But then I did a graduate degree in Britain, and then I came to America with Bob, and I did an MFA at Southern Illinois University, and my work was changed radically then. But the textile, which you know I didn't mention, it, it, or maybe I did earlier, but that's clearly seen in the sewing of the work and mm -hmm. in the sensibility. Say a little bit more about that transformation that happened to you at Southern Illinois. Well, it was during the women's movement, so that was a start. And um, the textile department, it's, well, first of all, I, start, I w didn't intend to do another degree. I started in the department teaching, and I taught one course. And I'd only been teaching, I don't know, four weeks when I got a letter from the dean of the College of Arts saying I wasn't qualified to teach. And so I thought, well, that's really odd. So I went to see him, the department talked to him, and what he had come up with was that because I didn't have a course in American history, either as an undergraduate or as a graduate person, then I wasn't qualified to teach. Little did he know I never studied American history in school at all, period. I think people in Britain don't think American, I shouldn't be saying this, that people <laughs> in America don't have any history because all we studied was European kings and queens and wars and mm -hmm. beheadings. 
So anyway, I was stopped teaching and th I thought, well, everything is so interesting to me and so alien. And I became a student in the textile, in the fiber department, uh, but did most of my work in sculpture and drawing and fiber, and that changed it physically. You just mentioned that you had been a teacher, and obviously since that time you have done other teaching. Say a little bit more about um, how you think of the relationship between yourself as a teacher and yourself as an artist. Well, teaching is wonderful. I've always enjoyed teaching. But uh, 20 years ago, when I was 50-something, I decided I needed more time in the studio because the whole time I was teaching, I was in the studio essentially full-time. So it's like two full-time jobs mm -hmm. and traveling around, giving talks, giving shows, sort of exhausting. And so um, I decided just to take early retirement and I did that. And uh, it's been wonderful because all of my energy, instead of going out to other people, and you do get feedback, but all my energy has gone into my work. The bad thing about it was that initially it was very difficult to get a structure to my day. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't realized how, you know, it formalized my work. You know, I would teach at certain hours, then I'd go to the studio till 11 at night, come home, sleep, get up in the morning and do my other schedule. And, you know, for about the first month after I stopped teaching, you know, I just slept in till lunch. It was wonderful, but <laughs> my whole day was, you know, disorganized. But, you know, I quickly got hold of that and I get made myself have a schedule. And within, I, I would say, a month, you know, I had a, a, a strong schedule and that was really nice. Can you say a little bit about what you think, what you want viewers of the work to come away with? The kinds of things that you want them to be thinking about or oh, the message you want to communicate? I am bad about all of that. <laughs> I, I don't know because so many different people come in and they range from thinking it's ridiculous or being scared. For example, one of, the, fir one of the first people who came in while I put the show up uh, four or five days ago said, oh, you know, these are so scary. I'm going to make sure you're my friend. You know, and so people are scared huh. because, you know, the, the skeleton, one of the pieces represents middle age, one mm -hmm. represents sort of dying, mm -hmm. and then I did the one with big wings mm -hmm. that is sort of a whiter piece that's on a motor in the ceiling that turns. And when Bob saw that piece, he was so relieved that actually after he died, he was going to heaven because <laughs> of the. <laughs> so I think people interpret it in so many different ways. If you ask, if a textile person comes in and hmm. looks at the work, they usually don't like it. You know, about 20 years ago, my, my work is known in the textile area mm -hmm. for being sort of different. And so about 15 or 20 years ago, I got a phone call inviting me to be a keynote speaker at a big textile conference in America. And the person on the phone, other end of the phone, knew me a little. And she said, you know, you're not our first choice. We had so-and-so, but they backed out. So you're our second choice. I said, well, that's okay. She said, yeah, but I have to tell you something else. She said, when the committee got together after the first person dropped out, we decided we wanted someone whose work nobody would like, nobody could identify with. And so we all thought of you, would you still come? And I said, yes. And so that's the sort of, so the people in the audience, it did start a big controversy. Is this really textile? She uses this crude, I use Irish linen to represent who I am, but it's all done very crudely. Hmm. And so to textile people, it's not textiles. To sculptors, it's not sculptors. Hmm. To installation people, it's not installation. Hmm. So it does, which is what I wanted, nicely fall in the cracks. Hmm. So I, I'm bad at answering that question. Oh, I think you did, did just fine. Um, are there artists that you're particularly drawn to or artists that have influenced you? 
No, and other people always have a good answer to that as well. But I, am, I have, over the years, been more influenced by um, what I see on stage mm. than what I see on galleries. Mm -hmm. Though if you ask a theatre director, as you mentioned earlier, they wouldn't see anything in my work that reminded them. But I sit in, in the theatre and half the time don't know what I'm looking at because I'm looking at the negative space and how mm -hmm. the light affects this and that. And I'm looking at the costumes and the, the proportions of the costumes to the body, things like that. And all of that affects me. And then I go and look at art shows and take bits of this and that. But no, there isn't really any one person. Are there artists or designers, clothing designers, who you would um, advocate that people should seek out and look at their work? <laughs> That's not That's a good question. That's the same sort of question. <laughs> um, I've always admired the work of Jean-Paul Gaultier. Mm -hmm. um, so people are, it's like everything else, people who do um, designs that are, are androgynous, that fall between male and female, mm -hmm, I'm mm -hmm. interested in that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, are you working on anything new at the moment that yes. you'd care to tell us about? Uh, same theme, you know, I've been doing this Bob's Body for a long time and um, I have one another, another piece finished that puts him in a space outfit that I made from transparencies that he kept from talks that he gave from overhead projectors. Do you mm, remember those? Mm, sure. And so they are really beautiful colors, bright colors. So I've never done a bright piece before and it looks like a spaceship. So I'm doing a series of uh, bodies that look like spacemen. And the one I'm currently working on, um, I'm making this huge coat for this enormous body that's going to be half monk and a half spaceman, and it's based on the Book of Kells, mm -hmm. uh, which is in Dublin at Trinity College. Mm -hmm. And I've taken the pages, uh, copies of the pages from the Book of Kells, and traced them onto Bob's papers. Uh, and then I've um, sort of rubbed them in black oil stick and scratched them enough so that you can see the science and yet s still see the patterns of the Book of Kells. Mm. So the coat will be that, and then the arms will be all feathers, and then you wear a space helmet that's silver, stuff like What's that. What's the space helmet made out of? It's made from a balloon, <laughs> which I covered over with his papers, uh -huh. and then pricked the balloon, and it was a wild balloon, it wouldn't burst, so it stayed there forever, and finally I had to <laughs> jam it. The balloon burst, I pulled all that out, then the inside um, is covered with silver, very silver fabric, I get wonderful stuff in New York when I'm there. And the outside will be covered in uh, uh, wool from a sheep that I have burned that looks sort of crusty and does funny things. Hmm. Sounds terrible, doesn't it? Oh, no, it sounds completely fascinating. <laughs> I'm dying to, uh, to see it. Um, we're just about out of time. Um, okay. My last question, I guess, is um, you're, you're also, as part of the exhibit at the Jordan Schnitzer, you're going to speak about your work. Yes. Um, do you sort of do a, a survey of your career? Is that the way you do that? Or do you speak specifically about the show? I'm going to do both. I'm going to start um, with growing up in Ireland and the textiles, what I said to you, to show about the textile background, which was reluctant, but is there nonetheless. And uh, then move through the early pieces, which are based on quilts, mm -hmm. and then through other work until I started doing Bob's Body. Well, thank you, Barbara, for taking the time to My speak pleasure. with us today. Thank it you. was a pleasure. Thank you. I've been speaking with Barbara McCullum, Irish-born artist. Her exhibition, Barbara McCullum Appropriating Science, is on view at the Jordan Schnitzer Museum of Art through January 28, 2018. Thanks so much for watching. <laughs>